This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Hey folks, guess what? The Detroit Women of Comedy Fest is back, baby! We're going to be streaming across Planet Ant's channels on June 4th and June 5th. That's their Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, you get it. There's going to be so much funny stuff. We're talking sketch, stand-up, podcasts, live stream, workshops, special guests. Head over to DetroitWomenOfComedy.com to find out how you can join the fun. You guys had to pick the most evil company ever. Who would it be and why? Justin, go first. The, 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 the single most evil company ever in the world. Yep. Um, I mean, if, if I had to say, it'd probably be one of the Belgian rubber companies. Okay. okay. Why? You know, for all the like the, the hands and shit that they cut off and the people that they killed in the Belgian Congo. Oh, the Congolese? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's I. Hey, I know what they did in the Congo, but other people may not. And I wanted you to explain yourself. <laughs> that's why they uh they covered that um that statue of King Leopold II in like red paint or like fucking genocide air. <laughs> like <laughs> the fact they had a statue in the first place, though. Like, hey, I I'd, I'd take they, a statue. The, the the Congolese probably didn't put it there. Probably. It, well, not. it was in Belgium. Oh yeah, there you go. No, so, they, yeah, they, they definitely they, didn't. They, they technically they might have, the Congolese they put taken, it there. They might have, yeah, through the extraction of their natural resources and their people. It's probably yeah, yeah. There's probably some forced labor involved in probably. putting that statue up. Tyler, can, what about you? Assume. I'm still thinking. Well, the most evil company in the world is the one I'm doing this two-part episode on, and people will find out why. Cool. Well, I sound like a real asshole. My, the worst, evil, most evil company in the world to me is uh, Hardee's. Hardee's. Hardee's because they upcharge for their chicken and they have no option for nuggets, only tenders, and their tenders are pretty fucking dry. Hmm. How do you feel about Carl's Jr.? The same thing. They're trying Carl's to. They're, Jr. they're trying Carl's to distract Jr. and Hardee's are the same company. They're no, trying. They're trying to distract you with the Carl's Jr. I just wanted to know if you were going to make a distinction between the two. No. Checkers slash rallies is a great alternative to Slaps. a Hardee's or Carl's Jr. And I get you get the fry lover burger because you're like, I want a few fries. I don't want a whole thing of fries. Put it right on the cheeseburger. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'm for it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, bringing it back to exploiting countries for their natural resources, and, uh, especially their, <laughs> uh, their uh, people wealth. As it were, uh, we're going to get started on the show today. Uh, hey, hello, and ahoy, mateys. And welcome to the Worst in the Industry podcast. Uh, the show where this uh, sloop's worth of absolutely worthless socialists attempts to row, row, row our way uh, across the sea of truth and bring the booty of rage that we attempt to bring you every week straight to your ears. My name is Justin St. Peter, and you are going to be hearing so many goddamn pirate puns over the next two episodes, you're going to want to kill me. To my right. It's B-pansexual first mate, Colin Stanley! To me right! Alright, uh, my name's Tyler, and I have a feeling I would be a really shitty pirate. Why do you say that, Tyler? Um, because, like, I'm not okay with, like, genocide and enslaving people. 
Not all pirates did that. Like some uh, yes, pirates they, were like, yes, yes, they did, Colin. That's the point of being a pirate. Sometimes you drink a lot of rum. You kill a. There's like a lot of. I feel like there were fun pirates. I feel like it wasn't always like. It's Blackbeard usually freed slaves. Yeah, you know, Edward Teach. They, Edward Teach was balling. You know who? Like, hey. You know who was the only pirates that didn't enslave people and and didn't commit genocides all the time? Captain the Kidd. The Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, the movie Pirates, yeah. Oh, no, Captain Kidd didn't commit genocide. I'm sure he did. Uh, no, he just he pillaged a lot, but it was mostly, like, hmm. uh, the British Navy, which they deserved it, uh, and British, like, lords, like, uh, provincial uh, government, who also deserved it, and then, like, the people who were venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, who were trying to start companies and invest in the Caribbean, and New England, and they also deserved it. So I, I'm certain he committed multiple genocides and fucked a lot of kids. And I can say that because he's dead. Fair point. Worse in the industry. Uh, stance there. <laughs> uh, today, we are going to be covering uh, a, an adventure on the high seas over the next couple of episodes. Uh, Tyler is bringing us some wonderful knowledge about uh, the company most famous as the villains from the first three Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> uh, the the Dutch first East three? Hmm. Oh, not just the Dutch East India Company. There's a few East India Companies. There's the, oh, du there's the, Dutch, there's the Dutch East India Company, there's the English East India Company, and there's the French East India Company. To get us started out here, uh, how much do you guys think a pound of cinnamon costs? Dollars or human hands? Dollars. Like now, how much do you think a pound of cinnamon costs? Like a brick, like a like a like pound, just pure a, uncut. A pound of uncut pure cinnamon. Fifty-five dollars. Seven bucks. Seven bucks for a pound of cinnamon. I'm buying my spices from the wrong place. I get upcharged out the fucking hole when I go to Whole Foods. Yeah, that's on Amazon, by the way. If you want to, oh, I don't, well, I don't no, use Amazon. No. Well, I'm sure you can get it at fucking. <laughs> Liar for nine dollars. I don't give a shit. So I'm like those people who are like, um, actually, we don't watch TV in this um, house. Actually, um, so anyway, yeah. Now, what if I told you that a pound of cinnamon cinnamon would have cost you three days worth of labor to buy? You had to work three days, hard labor, ten hour days, twelve hour days, for a pound of cinnamon. Yeah, I believe it. That's how much it costs in 1500s England. In the late 1500s, the name of the game was Spices. Back then, if you could bear the long, perilous journey of going to the East Indies, which is modern-day Southeast Asia, including Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, Singapore, Brunei, the Philippines, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and Myanmar, you would come back an incredibly rich man. Ginger, black pepper, cinnamon, cloves, mace, nutmeg, and most importantly, tea were essential, and they were basically worth their weight in gold, due to only being able to be grown there. And the wealthy ruling class of Europe could not get enough of it. The corporation that would come from this, which uh, the largest one would be the Dutch East India Company, is essentially the largest company to ever exist. The valuation that people give to it is that it was worth the equivalent of $7.9 trillion. 
That is more than the GDP of every single modern country combined if you take out the United States and China. Huge. Absolutely and, massive. Yeah, and uh, another, uh, another comparison here. Standard Oil at its height was worth $1 trillion. And they're worth eight. So, you're thinking, how does a company that just trades spices get this big? Well, because eventually it wasn't just about spices. We're talking opium is slaves, boys. Isn't human trading the spiciest form of trading? <laughs> and is opium not the spiciest of naturally occurring drugs? Even beyond the material goods that they produced, uh, you know, the East India Company was a, a military force on a global scale as well. Yeah, they're like uh, they're like in the Metal Gear series. If the Diamond Dogs got to basically, you know, commit slavery and have a bunch of fucking ships everywhere. Yep. So, so. the Diamond Dogs were like slightly less, you know, neutral. Yeah. Yep. So in order to get started on this story, I'm going to take you back to your eighth grade history class. So I'm going to ask everybody to take out a piece of paper and a pen and start writing down notes now, because there will be a, there will be a test at the end of this. Uh, I'm going to do exactly all the studying I did in middle school. Justin, can I borrow a pen? No, no. All right, everybody, everybody shut up. I'm talking. Anyway, <laughs> we're going <laughs> to... We're going to talk about a man named Francis Drake. I'm sure that sounds familiar. You probably learned about him at some point. He was an English explorer and colonizer. By the time he was 20, he was, cap he was captaining ships from England to Guinea. I hear they got great pigs. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, God. <laughs> so, now exploring at that time, it's always romanticized as a ship full of traders just wanting to go to faraway countries to trade their gold and linen in order to get things they couldn't get in their home country. Uh, this is not even close to what it was. Uh, it was dirty, backbreaking work, and uh, it more resembled constant nautical warfare. Uh, these ships would always attack each other in order to loot the other ship so they wouldn't have to take the journey to the place. They just has to kill all these people, loot the ship, and then go back to their country. Uh, that's the reason why, a, why the Caribbean was such a hot spot for pirates is because usually when um, these ships would go to South America to plunder Peru for all the gold that was there, uh, they would make a pit stop in the Caribbean and then they would go from there back to Europe. And uh, the, the main people that were doing this at the time were the Spanish. And uh, knowing the English, they couldn't let the Spanish get all this gold, right? I mean, no, they're, just gonna, the Spanish. they're just going to let them take it. They're, they're from slightly south of where we are. To hell with them. Francis Drake, he, he, uh, he knew what was going on. And uh, he took a little trip to Panama where the gold from the Peru was being held. And uh, he tried to attack their, their little storage there, and uh, he was gravely wounded, and the mission had to be aborted to save his life. But since they Aww. didn't get the treasure that wasn't the Spanish to begin with, it, the Peruvians, uh, once he recovered, he spent a while raiding Panamanian towns searching for the Peruvian gold. And uh, I'm going to quote quote here. A little story about, about him finally getting it. 
The most celebrated of Drake's adventures along the Spanish main was the capture of the Spanish silver train at Nombre de, de, uh, Nombre de Dios in March 1573. He raided the waters around Darien in modern Panama with a crew including many French privateers, a French buccaneer, and African slaves who escaped the Spanish. One of those men was Diego, and under Drake became a free man and also a capable shipbuilder. Drake tracked the silver train to a nearby port in Nombre de Dios. After their attack on the richly laden mule train, Drake and his party found that they had captured 20 tons of silver and gold. They buried much of the treasure because it was too much for their party to carry and made off with a fortune in gold. Wounded, one of the men was captured and later beheaded. Small band of adventurers dragged as much gold and silver as they could carry back across some 18 miles of jungle-covered mountains to where they had left their raiding boats. Once they got to the coast, the boats were gone. Drake and his men, downhearted, exhausted, and hungry, had nowhere to go, and the Spanish were not far behind. At this point, Drake rallied his men, buried the treasure on the beach, and built a raft to sail with two volunteers 10 miles along the surf-lashed coast to where they had left the flagship. Once Drake had, finished, had finally reached its deck, his men were alarmed at his bedraggled appearance. Fearing the worst, they asked him how the raid has gone. Drake could not resist a joke and teased them by looking downhearted. He laughed, pulled a necklace of Spanish gold from around his neck, and said, Our voyage is made, lads and by the 9th of August, 1573, he had returned back to Plymouth. During this time in Panama, he was the first Englishman to see the Pacific Ocean in Panama, and he wondered what was beyond that vast ocean, and he decided to try to get the funding for it. Bringing back that much gold made it really not too hard to convince the crown to uh, let him do it again. So he uh, he set sail across the uh, he set sail to go across the Pacific Ocean, and uh, so what he did was he went from Europe and then he went through the Caribbean and he hugged the coast of South America all the way down, past Argentina, back up, um, and then he made a stop in the coast of Northern California in a cove and claimed the area for the English. Yeah, it didn't really work out that well for him. No. Nope. Uh, and uh, once he got to Southeast Asia, he found the place absolutely teething with spices. In return for linen and proving in gold and silver he plundered, he got a huge load of spices. More precisely, six tons of cloves to bring back to England. That's a lot of hipster cigarettes. That's a lot of hipster cigarettes. <sighs> yeah. And from there, he sailed around the bottom of Africa back to England. Now you'd think that cloves, which even in that amount, wouldn't touch the operating cost of a three-year journey in order to get them, right? Like, that sounds insane. Oh, yeah, it, They're cloves, right? Um, in today's money, six tons of cloves is worth about $150,000. And the funny thing is uh, that journey actually made a profit. A 5,000% profit. Oh, yeah. Huge return on the investment. Yeah, yeah. He was knighted on the ship and continued to plunder and colonize and for the crown until his death of dysentery. 
<laughs> dysentery got him. It's dysentery makes uh, fucking shitbags of us all. Oh, God. All right. Now... Listen, Colin. You, you you told us exclu- explicitly how you. Were uh, it was cut out, out like of the episode. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't cut it out of my mind. I wish I could. I'd uh, read you and I I'd, both. I would Ray Liotta in Silence the Lambs to the fuck out of you. You fucking you slice that bit right out, please. I just I don't want to eat it. No, I eat it. That's the thing. All right. So this is where. The English East India Company started, and I'm going to call them the EIC from now on, because uh, there's a couple companies we need to keep track of. Uh, in September of 1599, a collection of merchants came together and asked for funding to go to the Indies for another spice run. They put up 30,000 pounds, or about $5 million in today's money to do it. The crown initially wasn't super into it, but uh, on December 31st, 1600, about a year later, uh, they received their royal charter under the name Governor and Company of Merchants of London Trading into the East Indies. Doesn't really roll off the tongue very well. <laughs> not, a, not a real eye-catcher, that name. The yep. branding issue. <laughs> it was a branding issue. So, when they got to India, uh, they already knew the Portuguese were there. Uh, and the Pope told them not to go, but, you know, they're Protestants, so they're like, eh, fuck the Pope. Uh, and, uh, the Dutch was already there, too. They'd been there about a year or so, um, and, uh, the Dutch had already kind of set up relations on, like, the very tip of India, um, with some local, uh, leaders there and stuff like that, so they could trade and whatnot. And, uh, the English had to go up into, like, the panhandle on the east side of India to trade because the Dutch already had, like, the tip, and they were like, all right, we need to get up in there, up in, like, the uh, the Bay of Bengal up there. And the, the interesting thing about the, the Dutch at the time is the Netherlands, it's, it wasn't great for farming, and natural resources were incredibly sparse because, you know, oil wasn't a thing yet really um so if you needed tulips that was your spot though. yeah yeah but can't exactly export tulips in the 1600s very yeah, easily like, if, if you want tulips or if you want uh windmills if you want your town to flood eight months out of the year it's a great fucking place if you, you want some real uncomfortable shoes if you want the only natural resource for miles around to be clay and horse shit it's a great place that's why they invented commerce Yep. So they uh, they made a mercantile economy, one of the first like merchant economies, uh, in order to keep their economy going, because they realized if a company imports less than it exports, the more gold they have and the bigger their dick is. While they were in India, the Dutch set up the official East India Company. I'm not even going to attempt to <laughs> uh, say yeah, come on. Come say on, no. Say that old Dutch. God, there's so many, so many fucking, there's so many vowels. Oh wow, well, it sounded out, bud. Fucking how am I, how am I supposed to pronounce three O's in a row? Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, gonna... <laughs> We're just gonna call them the VOC. So, okay. uh, the VOC was state-backed, but not state-controlled company the company could declare war to protect their interests 
hire soldiers, and basically do whatever the fuck they wanted under the flag of the Netherlands, but being free from state influence of the government itself. So, the British East India Company, the EIC, showed up after them, and they were trying to break the Dutch monopoly of India. Initially, it did not have all of the same state-backed power that the VOC had, they were just a collection of merchants trying to make some profit. And at this time, the Dutch set up the first uh, stock trading, specifically to buy stocks of the VOC. So, since the Dutch were set up there first, the EIC had to go up the coast, and I already explained that, and they were making less profit, and both, of the, both these companies were held together by investors. People would give them money in order to receive some of the goods that they bring back. Sounds familiar. Sounds like modern economy. So, in uh, 1612, there was a battle called the Battle of Suvali, and the English basically ended the Portuguese trading foothold in India, and after this, the local emperor and the British drew up a contract that in exchange for goods from the English, they would get the exclusive rights to trade spices in Surat, which is a Western Indian state. Um, and I'm sure you guys can understand that uh, they wrote up this contract in English and, you know, gave it to Put these... Put in a couple clauses. Yeah, yeah. So they basically fucked over these people. One of the most important places to hold in Southeast Asia at the time, they were called the Spice Islands. Um, it's part of the archipelago that is modern-day Indonesia. Um, it's on the western side of it. And it's the only place in the world where nutmeg and mace grew. It was also home to a few other spices. See, I, th I thought you were going to say it was the only place in the world where giant sandworms frolic and your eyes turn blue if you eat the food from there for too long. No, this is not Dune. They're called the Spice Islands, <laughs> though. Spice Islands, yeah, right. The spice must flow! He who controls the Spice Islands controls the universe. Oh, my, so many people are going to bleed for nutmeg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There will so. be a great Fremen Jihad upon these unbelievers. <laughs> Muad'Dib, please, deliver me. So, there's a guy in the VOC. name was uh, Admiral Peter Verhoeven. And uh, he decided he wanted to set up an exclusive foothold there. Yes, Colin? Can you say his last name again? Verhoeven. Verhoeven, as in our favorite director, Paul Verhoeven. Director of RoboCop, director of fucking Starship Troopers, uh, motherfucking uh, Total Recall. This guy, Paul Verhoeven, the guy who grew up with a Nazi fucking uh, missile launch pad in his backyard. Like, literally, he, he talked about it. It's great. It's great. So, Admiral Peter Verhoeven, uh, he wanted to set up an exclusive... VOC foothold in the Spice Islands. So, he brought along 13 warships, a thousand soldiers, including Japanese Ronin soldiers, to be used specifically as executioners. Fuck yes. Okay, I. <laughs> so far in this episode, I'm like, wow, this, like, they seem like a lot of potential for evil here. It seems like, you know, the profit motive is kind of like dragging them along by their nose. But you're telling me these fucking Dutch weebs were like, 
Get some, get some fucking samurai. Put them on the boat. They don't have to do anything but drink sake, growl in Japanese, and cut these guys' heads off when I need yeah, them to. Yeah, that was their job. Hey, this was what the, the 1500s. Uh, this like is uh, 1500s? this is no, this is uh, 1600s. Okay, early 1600s. So this is like after the the unification of Japan and. This yeah. is after the yeah. fucking, you know, Nobunaga no Yashi. Uh, no, 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 that was later. That was, um, Nobu... Oh, no, no, sorry. Nobunaga no Yashi. Yeah, I, I yeah was no, Nobunaga's campaign to, uh, unite Japan was, like, late 1500s. So this is so the yeah, first... So, yeah, there would be in spades. Yeah, this is, this is the, the fucking, the first shogunate that we're... I mean, we're not talking about Japan, though. Okay. So, he, uh, so... This guy shows up, this fucking white guy shows up to these islands. These people know what's going on, right? So, he tried to give them wool in velvet, and they were like, what the fuck are we going to do with this on a tropical island? It's hot, bitch! Yeah, it's hot, man. fuck, boy. This fucking white <laughs> devil wants me to sweat my dick off. So, he went to uh, one of the islands called Nira, um, and he wanted to build a fort there. Um, and he uh, signed an agreement with a, a completely different island, literally like a different country, essentially. And he was like, yeah, so I can like build a fort here. And they're like, no, <laughs> we don't even know those people. Like, <laughs> so he, he bought the NFT to build a fort there. Basically, like he went to a different island, signed a contract with a completely different island. And then went to this place and was like, yeah, I'm building a fort here. Got this uh, contract. Says it's cool. Yeah. And uh, eventually he, he talked him into it. You know, it's it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like how the it's like how the U.S. military builds fucking bases around the world now. It's like, well, there's going to be, like, money involved. There'll be, like, things that you get from it. But also... Uh, you know, it's like, yeah. uh, it's like a boot heel on the throat of your, uh, cultural identity and, uh, popular sovereignty. So, win-win. Win-win. So, they then set their sights on the island of Banda. Banda was a big fucking deal. Had a whole buttload of nutmeg trees. And, uh, so they, they wrote up contracts establishing a monopoly in that country. The Bandanese preferred free trade due to them being able to pit all of the European dumbass companies against each other, sell to the highest bidder. Negotiations went back and forth, and eventually, some chieftains got really pissed off. And uh, they lured three commanders, including Peter Verhoeven, uh, who showed up to the parlay with two chained Englishmen in order to show his power over the English EIC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to do the same thing to Keir Starmer. Dude, could you imagine showing up to a place with two other chained up white dudes that look exactly the same as you and be like, yeah, we're superior over those guys. And they're like, I don't see a fucking difference. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great just to see Paul Verhoeven have fucking Tony Blair and Keir Starmer fucking chained up and lean them around? <laughs> Fucking like, fucking come on, hurry up, you limey fucks! We're burning daylight. 
tried to parlay. Yep. So they uh, they went to this parlay, and uh, some guards went to, and uh, uh, they were ambushed and murdered. All of them, 46 <laughs> in total. Woo! Uh, Admiral Peter Verhoeven was beheaded, and his head was placed on a spike. The Dutch, <laughs> the Dutch, in response, raided, raped, and killed their way through the Bandanese villages and sunk all of their ships. And uh, eventually the Bandanese relented and signed a contract for the Monopoly. Eventually, the Bandanese broke their contract and were trading with the English. The dirty English. The VOC decided, we're going to take all these fucking islands then. So they invaded the island of Ai, and uh, they pushed back the English to the island of Run. But that night when they were looting the village, the English surprised them with a counterattack and killed 200 of them. Yeah, the Dutch left for a short period, uh, but came back not long after to conquer the island. The Dutch came back and they were real pissed. They were real upset. They were just uh, stamping their clogs and... Oh! Peter, have you heard that the English fucking killed 200 of us? But that's not the worst part. They sunk their tulip ships and burned all their clogs. Not the tulip ships. They'll have to walk backwards in hell now for all eternity. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, uh... They brought along 263 men, including more Japanese Ronin soldiers... (laughs) <laughs> and decided to kill, and they said they were going to murder any native that put up any resistance. After a fierce fight, the island of Ai was in control of the Dutch. 400 people, including mostly women and children, drowned trying to swim to the nearby island of Run. <clears throat> Later that year, the English set up a post on the island of Run, much to the disapproval of the Dutch. The Dutch invaded, slaughtering all of the English, All adult native males were either killed or enslaved, women and children were exiled, and every nutmeg tree was cut down to make the island useless. The Dutch let some cattle graze on the island for a food source and regularly came back to make sure those sneaky English didn't set up a post there. Wow, so that's that the the Dutch weren't even interested in taking the nutmeg. No. At that point it is just a I I don't want you to have this. Yeah, yeah, because we're setting up um, what is essentially a global mercantile economy here, where if you have the thing and I don't have the thing, then I'm not making money and you are, so I have to murder you for it. It's, it is just as much about restricting access to the thing as it is uh, selling it. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's just like, you know, modern day with, like, lobsters or diamonds. It's, it's something that is artificially made scarce so that you can jack the fucking price up if you go to massachusetts you could buy lobsters for like six dollars a pound it's fucking cheap yep so in uh 1620 a guy named jan cohen from the voc he was still being like man we need banda we need that fucking island banda 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 i got bras and banda Banda. (laughs) i got bras and rangoon (laughs) So, uh, he wanted to take, he wanted to take it back, and in a letter he sent, he said, quote, To adequately deal with this matter, it is necessary to once again subjugate Banda and populate it with other people. 
Ah, yes, because that is, there's nothing insidious about replacing a population. He commanded a fleet of 19 warships, 1,655 Dutch soldiers, and 286 Japanese mercenaries. They went for an all-out offensive strike on the Bandanese fighters, and eventually they captured the island. There was a temporary peace with the upper class of this country, uh, with the spices ex exclusively being sold to the Dutch for a fixed price, but soon the Dutch got bored of the peace and wanted control of the whole country. So they sent out to slaughter and burn down villages until the people surrendered. 24 leaders were decapitated by the Ronin Japanese. All in all, the Dutch lost 7 men and 15 wounded, and the Bandanese suffered 2,500 to 2,800 dead and 1,700 enslaved. The English East India Company started rapidly expanding, taking most of India for themselves, and eventually teaming up with the Dutch East India Company in order to attack the Spanish and Portuguese ships off the coast of China to secure ports there. Around 1644, our good friends the French showed up too, with their own East India Company. Oh! Started getting in the spice game too. And this, so, this definitely won't create any dangerous precedents for anything like the Vietnam War. No, of course not. So, funding at this time was not easy for the, uh, for the EIC, the English East India Company, to get. Due to 10 shares of the EIC costing the equivalent of 100 lakers of land in Virginia. But as they expanded and plundered more, it became much more profitable. In 1670, the Crown passed acts allowing the EIC autonomous territorial acquisitions to mint money, to command fortresses and troops, and form alliances to make war and peace, and exercise both civil and criminal jurisdiction over the acquired areas. So basically, the crown was like, hey, you guys do whatever the fuck you want over there. Like, make, do wars, do whatever the fuck you want. I don't the, care. The EIC was essentially a subsidiary government. Yeah, just keep bringing back those fucking spices. They're we don't... DiGiorno to the English crown's Nestle. We don't care how many bleed for the pepper. By the early 1700s, the VOC had 50,000 employees worldwide, 200 ships, and gave shareholders an average of a 40% profit on their shares per year. Pretty, it sounds low, but for an investment, that's pretty fucking good. A, a, a consistent 40% increase? That's pretty fucking good. Like, you, you're solid if you get like an 8%. Oh, yeah. Per year. Like, that's, yeah. So, both, now that both companies could declare war and uh, fight to protect their own interests, the Anglo-Dutch Wars began, resulting in multiple skirmishes and battles in India, the Dutch not being able to hold a candle to the British Navy at the time, were eventually weakened heavily, and the whole of India was basically opened up to the English. So, I'm pretty sure the uh, the underline for that war, much like AVP, was whoever wins, we lose. <laughs> the Anglo-Dutch War. Also, the English have acid blood, but that's uh, unrelated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, at the to put things into perspective... At the time, the whole of Europe's population was 70 million people, okay? India 
was home to over 170 million people. So, pretty fucking densely populated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, a uh, little, little thing that happened. A little, in, uh, a little, a little thing. A little thing that happened in India. 1695, English pirate Henry Avery and five other pirate vessels attacked a Mughal leader's ship. Now, the Mughals are, they were basically like the ruling class of India. Um, and uh, they were Muslim uh, in a majority Hindu population country. Mm-hmm. So they attacked this ship on the way back from Mecca. And they took the equivalent of a hundred million dollars in silver and jewels and was known as the richest ship to be ever taken by pirates. At the time, all of India was ruled by these Mughals. And this was kind of an odd setup due to the Mughals being Muslim and the vast majority of the population in India being Hindu. Um, apparently these these uh, religious differences didn't really matter. Like, everything was kind of chill. Like, they were like, eh, you know, whatever. Um, like, they're not making us live by, you know, Islamic law, whatever. Culture's fine. Whatever. It's, it's cool. Yeah, there wasn't a huge well, cultural that's, uh... clash there yet. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the Mughals, much like the uh, the Ottomans, were uh, at least partially like spiritual successors of the Persian mm-hmm. Empire, um, and also uh, you know groups like the Parthians and whatnot who like fought like Rome yeah. essentially, and then over time they're just like yeah we kind of just hang out and you know we're in charge here but we don't we could just like collect taxes for the oh most the Persians part. are still around and we'll get to them. Oh wait, yeah. really? Fuck yeah! Uh, so, by the time the Europeans showed up, uh, India was kind of getting fractured a little bit um, because the Mughals started enacting harder Islamic law against a Hindu population, and they were like, "Yo, we don't need to follow these rules. Uh, that's it's not our religion." You know, it's like uh, it's like when Republican lawmakers are like, "Hey, you guys aren't allowed to get abortions," and I'm like, uh. But, but Tyler's like, but, but I'm, I'm pregnant. But I'm pregnant and I don't want this baby. So the Mughals were really fucking upset about, uh, you know, $100 million worth of silver and jewels being stolen from them by an Englishman. All right, I, I have to, I'm sorry to interject this. I'm fairly certain it's pronounced Mughal, um, and you guys are saying it like they're the vendors from Final Fantasy. They're Mughals. Listen, I'm not the one that named them that. I am going to continue calling them Mughals because that is how I heard them pronounced. If I pronounce it wrong, I apologize. Um, I don't think there's any Mughals left, but if there are... (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure Dan Carlin said Moogle, and that's why I said it. So, it's not my fault. In feudal... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Countdown to Armageddon. Oh, I fucking... Fucking love Dan Carlin. Oh, he's great. Anyway, so they were really upset about this, as one would be. So the EIC offered to pay them the equivalent of what was taken and put a 500 pound, which is worth about $10,000 today, bounty on his head. And thus began the first worldwide manhunt. We, we did not work. Did not work. They did not find him. 
He was gone. Henry, and this is Henry Avery we're referring to. Uh, Henry Avery, yes. Yep, he was uh, He was with the wind. Nobody knows we, what happened to him. I was going to say, do we know where Definitely. that money ended up? Nope. I, I would assume, like, a crewmate of his probably, like, shot him or something, and he fell off the side of the boat. And they're just like, well, he's dead, I guess. They, they offered all this to them. They were still upset. The Mughal leaders attacked and closed four factories. Uh, they called them factories at this time. They were basically just like trading fortresses kind of thing. They're money factories. Yeah, yes, basically. Money uh, and uh, they, uh, they arrested the governors of these posts and uh, killed a lot of them. They, 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 were, they were real upset. Good. Yes, yeah, it's reasonable. Um, so about this time, a little bit after this, uh, the EIC and the Mughals were, you know, kind of kind of had some bad blood between them. But luckily for the English, the Mughal capital was captured by the Persians. Oh. Uh, the Afghanis started to invade them. And eventually the Hindus rebelled, ending the Mughal rule. So, for years after this, the French and the English diplomatically and physically fought for control of India, and all the while trying to get their hands on the incredibly vital resource in India, saltpeter. Potassium nitrate, used to make, used to make gunpowder. So, that's where, uh, that's where I'm gonna, I'm gonna end, end this part of the episode. And uh, next episode, we'll get into, you know, India. Oh, well, yeah, the, the, the real English involvement in India. The British again, Raj! In, in no way could this ever possibly set up to the events of the 20th century, like, you know, Indian independence and Mahatma Gandhi. And, yeah, those, they're totally unrelated. Yeah. You guys want to hear something funny? Winston. Is the Dutch, yes. pe the Dutch yes. people didn't leave the Spice Islands until after World War II. I wouldn't. Sounds like a great place to be. It's, uh, yeah, like, the, the true end of those, like, colonies really didn't happen until after that, that Second World War. You know, not until after Vietnam and, and most of French Indochina had freed itself from under that occupation. And Yep. <sighs> Definitely. And you see that, you see that, like, there's, you constantly see that. You see that in, in uh, Indonesia. You see that in the Philippines. You see that, like, across the region. All these, like, countries are finally going, like, I I guess we don't physically have to be here anymore to ruin your fucking lives. Uh, we can just have like Amer like the CIA do it, yeah. or like subjugate you through economic sanctions and oppression. Yep. So you guys want to hear my favorite little anecdote about the Dutch East India Company? Oh, absolutely. I do okay. <laughs> so one of their favorite things that they did is when they passed by another ship, they would do a three-gun salute with their cannons. Every okay. single time. So they're just shooting off cannons all the fucking time. So you're just like, oh, are they saying hi or are we being attacked? No, three-gun salute. Boom, boom, boom. That, that means hi. Okay. So uh, quite a few times there were accidents. Because um, when you do the three-gun salute, you're not supposed to put a cannonball in. You're just supposed to fire off the cannon yeah. to, to make the sound. So one time, these two ships were passing each other. 
guy left the cannonballs in there. Oh, awesome. <laughs> didn't aim away from the other ship, shot into the ship, and killed the captain and the first mate. Incredible. And the best part is, is when they were on the way to the funeral of those people, the captain and the first mate of that ship were killed by a different ship. Please tell me it was with <laughs> a, Dutch, a, a Dutch three-gun sword. It was! <laughs> it's like that guy it's... in Bermuda who got killed by a scooter and that his brother got killed by the same taxi driver on the same scooter a year later. Yep. Uh, it's it's like if when you did like the jeep the jeep wave you know like where you hog and do the jeep wave if, <laughs> if you just part boom, of boom, boom. shooting a fucking like gun at the other car you're like don't worry they're blanks pop 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 just fucking ventilate a family of four in a rank fucking ra- rasp on Brandon Lee some poor fuck <laughs> you fucking oh. rasputin the dude just. <laughs> Stabbed him. Yeah, no, we were, we were doing the greeting that every guy in an El Camino does is you flip a butterfly knife around and you throw it at the other car. Stabbed him right in the fucking face on the freeway. We need to bring back three gun salutes. Oh, hell yeah. I like how often no, your source No, we have more is. guns than people in America. Everyone's gonna die. Don't do that. How- The- Dude- do you know how many fucking times I've been to a range? Do you know how many times I've been at a gun store? Some of these people, like, there's a lot of people who are competent, but some of these people are so Dude, fucking okay. dumb. None of them would unload okay. their guns. I went to a gun store one time with Jess, or a gun range with Jess, and uh, we were, we did like one of the Groupon, 25 bucks, you get to rent a gun, you get to go shoot it. It's yeah, fucking blast. You yeah, you get an you hour, get you get like 100 yeah. rounds. So we got a big-ass 357 mag, because uh, that shit was fun. Oh, yeah, those are fun. This guy came in to try to sell his gun to the uh, the shop, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't bring it in a case. He literally just takes oh it out God. of the holster and, like, sets it on the table. And the guy's like, whoa, dude, what... What the fuck was that? Like, that's you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm just trying to sell it. And the guy was like, okay, okay, whatever. And he picks it up, and he fucking takes the mag out, and then he, like, you know, clears it. And there's a fucking round in the chamber. <laughs> he just sets it back down, and he's like, get the fuck out of here. That's a felony, dude. Yeah, that is... Yep. Holy shit. Yeah. It, it's bad enough to, like, flag somebody when you're, when you're at a range... But to literally brandish and, like, drop on a fucking table a loaded gun, like, we, like, we like guns here, of course, in the industry. We're a fan. We, we like shooting guns. Guns are fun. Uh, and we don't believe that working people should disarm themselves. We think that, uh, Um, guns can be safely owned and, uh, you know, it just depends on, it depends a lot on the person. Yeah, we're, we are for reasonable uh, gun owners. Yeah, oh yeah, there there are uh, certain people who should not own guns, so let's just get that out of the way. There are quite a few people that should, yeah, yeah, like that guy. Yeah, like that guy, but like, come on, man, like, dude, Ugh. you feel like you would check, right? You're gonna put it in the holster anyway, fucking check, just like... It, it, it should be any time you pick up the firearm that you, you check. Go into your backyard, point it at the ground, take the clip out, and op- like clear the slot, yeah. clear the breach. A couple times. Like, yeah. come on. It's not a... It's not hard. 
it's not hard to be a good gun owner. It really isn't. Yeah. Yep, and uh, gun owners, East India companies, lots of guns. We'll get into we'll get into lots of that next week. Mm-hmm. Tons and tons of that. Oh yeah. I do like uh, I liked how often it specified that the Dutch had access to Japanese troops because that was such yeah a I know thing. right and it's it's it was kind of a sly way of them like pointing out how good the Dutch were at getting these exclusive contracts because at that time the Dutch was the they were the only country not a, not only the only Western country but the only country period. That was in uh, like on trading terms with Japan. Yeah, this was the beginning of Japan's isolationism that wouldn't end until uh, Commodore Matthew Perry attempted to blow up Kyoto Castle in like the 1868, I think. Yep. Which fun fact, Commodore yes, Matthew was... Perry from Michigan. No, oh, he's a mm-hmm. Michigan boy. So he yeah, went over he there and he was Michigander. like, "Hey, listen, we need to fuck." We're gonna need you to open up this whole uh, Kyoto Castle. There, we need to get some of your rice and some of your rice vinegar. Oh, let me just sneak right by you and get let some me, of that rice. Oh. oh, let me just sneak right past these <laughs> I don't, trade, I don't think... trade regulations into Edo. And, uh... I, you know, I've never been, you know, in, in summary, Kyoto is a land of differences <laughs> and contradictions. <sighs> oh, man. No, but, uh, wasn't this back when they were still, like, murdering Jesuit priests the second they touched foot on Japan? They were like, oh, that guy has a big fucking cross around his neck. I'm gonna go chop his fucking yeah. head yeah, off. Yeah, the <laughs> only people that they liked trading with were the Dutch firearms traders. Fuck yeah. But, you know, that's how Oda Nobunaga won Japan. Oda Nobunaga. Exactly. And then Hideyoshi Hashima, that fucking low worm, betrayed him. Kadeo we can, we can get into Japanese history on another podcast. Wait, wait. Okay. You talking about the guy who made Metal Gear Solid? You know what? Yes. <laughs> yes, Oda Nobunaga, the man who developed. Oh, because Metal I Gear said Solid. Hideyoshi Hashima, <laughs> yeah. a completely different Japanese name. You fucking asshole. Uh, yeah, no, Takagawa, Takagawa Aeso. Yeah, the, the oh, you mean, you mean the guy Mario. who's in charge of Konami? <laughs> that guy? Yeah. All Japanese the, people. The, the guy that made that really weird Death Stranding game where you have a baby and you part of the story arc is drinking Monster. You mean Mitsuhide Akechi? The guy who made Yu-Gi-Oh? Yeah, Mitsuhide Akechi. <laughs> the Pokemon guy? No, the guy who murdered Lord Nobuna, Lord Nobunaga Oda. Oh. Oda Nobunaga. Mitsuhide Akechi's the guy who killed him. And nobody knows why he no. betrayed him. It's it's very they named Pikachu after him. Really... It's it's because fucking Nobunaga was a mad dog, anyways. <laughs> I don't think that's reasonable to assume. All right, again, Japanese history will wait for another podcast. Um, I'm gonna tie a bandana around my fucking head. I'm gonna barricade myself in a fucking radio tower, and I will demand we declare the president a divine descendant of the sun goddess. And if you don't let it happen, I will kill myself in front of nah, you. Nah, okay. Here's the thing: is we're not we're not doing we're not doing anything about feudal Japan because that shit is way too complicated. If you guys want to know about feudal Japan, listen to the fucking four six-hour episodes Dan Carlin made up uh, called Supernova in the East. There's also it's a great, great Netflix documentary about the rise of Oda Nobunaga. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's All fucking right. but, Or play the Samurai Warrior games for PlayStation yeah. 2 and 3. If, if you can get it, get you'll the learn the same shit. Nobunaga no Yashin, then... Yeah, play uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Oh. We're, just, we're just naming Japanese games now. All right, this has been the worst in the industry. 
um, talking about the East India companies, both Dutch, English, and French. And French. Uh, next week, we'll be getting into a little bit more of the same. We're going to have a little mini-sode coming out soon uh, with a couple of listener submissions about some awful Ooh. employment stuff that they've uh, they've gone through. Oh, yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut. But there's still time. If you want to submit yours, there's still time. There is always time to submit. We will we will hopefully be producing these mini sods fairly fairly frequently, um, either on a biweekly or a weekly basis, and you know just trying to get some of these stories that people have of their employment out there. Yep. And uh, by the time this comes out, y'all can listen to us on uh, One Shot Dungeons. We did a little D and D podcast uh, with some boys. That uh, was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, our One-Shot yep. Dungeon. Jacob and Kyle, and Kyle had a great yep. time. That, uh, that, again, is One-Shot Dungeon. That's out on every uh, every listening platform. Mm-hmm. Come listen to and, us uh, and, completely uh, uh, sideline a fucking D&D campaign. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, and there will be a commercial attached to this probably at the beginning of the episode, but, but please, please, please listen and uh, check out the Detroit Women of Comedy Festival. Um, it's happening June... 4th and 5th. It's the first weekend of June. First weekend of June, June uh, 4th and 5th. It's a variety show. Uh, it's lots of female performers from the Detroit area. There's going to be podcasts. There's going to be sketch comedy. There's going to be stand-up comedy. It's going to be all types of comedy. It's a diverse crowd, and we're lifting up uh, you know, women's voices, people who don't typically have a platform uh, in this kind of entertainment. We want to boost their voices and uh, show you guys some really fun, entertaining acts and fun, entertaining people. Absolutely. Uh, you can find us on social media Pretty much everywhere. Uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, or no, we're not on Facebook. We're on Twitter and Instagram. Um, no. You can, if you no want to submit an idea for the show, a story, uh, please do so at worstintheindustrypod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at, at wittypod, that is at W-I-T-I-P-O-D. Uh, on Instagram, we can be found at worstintheindustrypod. Or is it just worst in the industry? Uh, it's just at worst in the industry. Yeah, just at worst in the industry. We're gonna throw our social links in the uh, in the stuff. But yeah, yeah. And uh, if you want to follow me, I'm a uh, uh, shit. What am I? Tyler Woody Pod. Yeah, Tyler Woody Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Yep. Uh, I am at that Wednesday on Twitter and at JTSP Comedy on uh, Instagram. Still a scavenger hunt, guys. Nobody's found it yet. Uh- <laughs> Colin, have you considered that like- no one's looking? Yes, and that's also fun for me. Is right. is there a uh, is there a prize involved if they find you, Colin? Yeah, I'll block you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I guess tune in next week for uh, part two of the East India Company. Uh, underline white men can't float. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> All right, see you guys. See you Love guys. you. Bye. Bye.